Well, for this old man, news that the mechanical bull is stuck in the mud is not bad news at all. Good news. That's gospel. I'm, I welcome it. Jeff did a great job. That guy, that Jeff dude, he's, he's good. Leading worship. Um, good song. Good song selection. You agree? But do this, though. Stand up. Let's do this one time. It's expected. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. And I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. And I will obey your word. I want to see your kingdom come. Not my will, but yours be done. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How wonderful you are. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How powerful you are. Glory, glory to the Lamb. You take me into the Lamb. We will conquer in your name. And proclaim that Jesus reigns. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How wonderful you are. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How powerful you are. Come on. Glory, glory to the Lord. Take me into the land. And we will conquer in your name. And proclaim that Jesus reigns. Hail, line of Judah. How wonderful you are. Hail, line of Judah. How powerful you are. Nehemiah chapter 6. By the way, can you get, hey guys, over there in control, can you throw the diamond plate wallpaper back up? It's so much better. Man. I love that stuff. <laughs> I mean, this is cool. And I really like it. The diamond plate, man. There we go. <laughs> if, I, if I get to pick, thank you. Up, you see, I know you guys can't relate to this here in New Mexico. But up in the extreme northeast, where we have to heavily salt the roads to melt the ice, we have sheet metal cancer like you wouldn't believe. Our vehicles will disintegrate out from under us. And so, you know, I always get an old truck. Like right now, I got this 06 F350. And, and the first thing I got to do is, re, you know, I got to get a body guy to replace rocker panels and cab corners. 
And then, and immediately cut the bed off and throw that away because it's, it's Swiss cheese. And then go to work with that diamond plate and, and weld and fabricate good steel flatbed. You can't beat it. I love that stuff. I don't, I don't like sheet metal. And no kidding, this is not made up. I'm, I was driving in northern Maine. I had an F-250 at the time. This was years ago. Not one, but two. Two moose. Two massive moosem busted out in front of my truck. And now typically, a collision with them is, is fatal at, at a decent speed for the driver as well as the moose. We lost a good friend. Our sound man at Calvin Chapel, he went straight to heaven from a moose collision just a few years ago. One of our other uh, ladies, dear lady, Lauren, she sliced a moose in half with her car, which was impressive. She lived, the Lord kept her, not a scratch, not a, an injury on her, and, and uh, half the moose in the car, which they butchered up. <laughs> but the sheet metal roof of that car, once the windshield was blown out, was like a blade. Cut that thing in half, it was impressive. So anyway, these two moose, they could, and I'm going about 60, and all I can do is swerve. I swerve and I mess them with the sheet metal and tuck them out with a steel flatbed. <laughs> and uh, no kidding, laid them sprawled out in the field. It was a potato field. And I didn't even stop. I looked at them, I just, I seen them getting up. I think they might have been damaged, but you cannot bait the diamond plate. I'm just saying. <laughs> I realize that's deeply spiritual. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 6. Brothers, uh, let me just read the text first. Now it came to pass, in the beginning of verse 1, now it came to pass when Sinbalat and Tobiah, Geshem the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. That's Nehemiah saying, it was a setup. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, doing a great work, so that it cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they, they sent me four times after the same, after this sort. And I answered them after the same manner, and sent Sanballat and his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Geshuma saith that thou and the Jews think to rebel for which cause thou buildest that wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words, and thou also hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There's a king in Judah. And now shall it be reported to the king, according to these words, Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto them, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. It's Nehemiah saying, That's fake news, guys. That's what that is. You're making it up. But look at verse 9. But they all made us afraid 
saying their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. We'll read some more here in a moment, but Nehemiah testifies that a campaign of intimidation was engaged in to affect him, to affect everybody he was leading. So what's the deal? In case you don't know this, Nehemiah is a man who's taken on a great project, a great challenge, a great mission. The people of God refused to honor the covenant that they had with God in the promised land, and God warned them coming in to the promised land, this land will vomit you out. And that day came, despite the fact that God sent them prophets and warned them. They would not heed the prophets and were ultimately conquered and taken out of the promised land. Decades passed. A remnant returned. They returned to at least reestablish the temple a generation earlier. But Jerusalem is still in, in ruins. It is in rubble. And without walls, you don't really have a legitimate city. You don't really have a legitimate nation. Sure, you know that. You don't need me to go off on the politics of the day. However, surely you are aware that a great sin, a great crime is being committed by the refusal of our current presidential administration. Refusal to enforce law. The refusal to enforce law, the refusal to enforce our nation's borders has resulted in death. You're, you're aware of the death that's all around you. you got people, you're connected to this. The number one killer in America right now of young men and young women, the number one killer is not COVID or any other silly um, engineered virus that they can capitalize on, try to create an emergency with, thereby granting them themselves emergency powers, expanding and extending those, robbing you of your freedoms. Let me not get political, but you're uh, surely aware that the real pandemic is the drug plague, that all around us, everywhere we look, there's this zombie apocalypse taking place. It, it is the sorcery, it is the pharmacia of the day in which we live. 300 every day on average dying. Imagine what, what kind of, what, what would we accept it if an enemy nation shot down a 300 passenger jet daily? And that's what we're putting up with, that's what we've grown numb to. Well, they got everybody living in fear. Wearing a mask, alone in their car. <laughs> Scared of the boogie virus. While the real plague is just outside the window of that car, and they're driving right past it. They stagger around, they, they crash into buildings, and they crash into each other. They stand begging. Breaks my heart. I have all of the decades of my ministry worked directly with drug addicts. As we still do, just as Utah does, Calvary Residential Discipleship, Central Man collects broken people, bound people, introducing them to freedom through Christ. And look, here's the deal. The Lord Jesus, let me just pursue this for a second. He, in John chapter 8, said plainly, if, it's a big if now, if you continue in my words, then you are my disciples indeed. 
and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now that statement, the truth shall make you free, taken out of that context is no longer true. The statement, the truth will make you free, by itself is not a true statement. Taken out of that context, it's not true. If you, and some of us know this very well, right, are guilty of the crime, and the prosecution has the facts, has the truth on you, the truth will not set you free, the truth will send you to prison. <laughs> so in proper context, Jesus Christ speaks of himself. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Therefore we say, disciples indeed are free indeed. Amen. By the way, did you, are you aware that the word addict was never in the history of the English language a noun until these days we live in? The word's been around a long time. Check the 1826 edition of the Webster's Dictionary. I keep uh, the app on my phone so I can look up what, what words used to mean. Look up the word addict in the 1826 edition of Webster's, and it's a verb. <laughs> it appears in 1 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul says, you know those of the house of Stephanus, how they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What was addict? as a verb. What did that mean? I meant devote. Devote. Just devote. All an addict is a devoted one. But since the modern age, through the history of the world, drug addiction has been a very tiny problem. You had to have a direct connection to a witch doctor, a sorcerer. You had to have money means. You had to live somewhere where you could just lick a toad. The rest of the world has only, through all of the history of the world, had to deal with drunkenness, and that's why the scripture addresses it so very frequently, warns against it, dangers of alcohol. We live in the days of sorcery, of pharmakia, the whole world since the industrial age, and now with the age of flight and our means to not only mass produce, but mass transmit and transport. Now the whole world is enslaved by products that are coming all the way from Asia, all the way here through our southern border. It's outrageous, grieves me, frustrates me greatly. But back to the subject. Jerusalem had no walls. You need walls. The city needs to be rebuilt. Without those walls, you're not a legitimate city. Without those walls, you're just another little collection of houses. With the walls. Now there's a line drawn. Now with the walls, being rebuilt by Nehemiah, leading that great project. You can have an actual city. You can control who comes and who goes and what happens within those walls. Nehemiah. He happened to be among those exiles still over there in Persia. And, and God had promoted him to a significant role, influencing the king of Persia. You know the story, but let's just review it. It was upon hearing the news from travelers, family had traveled to Jerusalem and reported the state of Jerusalem that since the days of Ezra when they went back to rebuild the temple, the, the city's still in ruins, it's in rubble. It broke Nehemiah's heart. And he violated the law. He did something that Persian law does not allow. He showed his sorrow. 
presence of the Persian king. He risked his life every bit as much as Esther, Queen Esther, risked her life violating Persian law, entering without an invitation. She laid it all on the line for the sake of her people. Nehemiah did the same thing. He showed his broken heart. You're not allowed to do that. He was confronted by the king of Persia. The Persian king said, what is this? Why is your face like that? You know the law. Boy, this is none other than sorrow of heart. And this is, in other words, nobody's allowed to have that. I'm the only one with problems. I'm the king. I am the only one. I want to know about your troubles. Come around me with your sorry face. That's what the Persian law was all about. And the king recognized Nehemiah violating that law. Nehemiah risked it all. God gave him favor, and that king said, tell me why. Nehemiah laid it out. He laid out the source of his sorrow, and why should he not be full of sorrow? The state of his people, the state of Jerusalem. God granted him such favor, the king, instead of punishing him, says, what do you need? What do you want? I'm ready to stamp my signet. I'm ready to... I'm, how much money do you need? Unbelievable. Nehemiah's mind was blown. He didn't have time for anything. He prayed. He certainly had prayed leading up to that. But man, when the king said, what do you want? All he could do was go, oh, Lord, what do I want? I need papers. I need resources. I need leave. You understand all of that was granted to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was granted everything he needed to go and to gather those few exiles that had returned and let's rebuild the walls. Let's see the promise of God of a, a renewed Israel fulfilled. Man, what a mission. Now for that, he's got adversaries. There's nothing logical about the opposition of Sanballat and Tobiah, Geshem, none of that. They have, what is it to them that Jerusalem has walls? Why would they care? And as it, just as it has always been, it is now, anti-Semitism and hatred of the Jews is illogical, it's irrational, it is satanic. It, it, it is all about the very fact that God has chosen these people to bring the Messiah into the world. He enters the world through this chosen people. That is the root of the hatred of the Jew. They have enemies, and the enemies can't really do much, but they threaten to do a lot. Guys, come on, you gotta, you gotta like Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's a, he's a man who, who builds. He works, he oversees, and he comes to the point where he's like, all right, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna build with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. You know, that's something high alert. Because there's a danger. The Apostle Peter tells us, New Testament believers, on the other side of the cross, he tells us that our adversary is still a very serious threat to us. You can hear those hypester preachers going on about the devil. He's been declawed, he's been defanged, he's been defeated at the cross. And that, that's all only partial truth. Peter warns that he's a real threat. Going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have a real threat. There, there's a real danger. There, look, you guys all know that as dads, 
Our job is to help our children sort out real fear from illegitimate, I mean, a legitimate fear from illegitimate, right? There's monsters under the bed thing. If you have to, you'll go with them and let's go under this bed. We'll, in fact, we'll spend the night under this bed. You'll see there's no monster. You get comfortable with this under the bed thing. And that's, you know, all that dark closet. You teach our children to confront their illegitimate fears. But then there's legitimate fears. We want them to look both ways, right? Before they cross any road, any street, there's a legitimate danger. So it's part of our job. I believe it's part of our job as pastors. It's supposed to be. America's pastors are generally failing at that. And they have allowed the government to instill fear. And they've translated that fear into into power. And people gladly surrender their freedom for the promise of safety. They got us talking different fellas. As Americans now, we walk around talking about mandates and orders, executive orders and mandates and decrees. Do you understand we haven't done that since we, by God's grace, cast off the tyranny of King George III? who would send his guys here to go, by the royal decree of King George III. And we had enough of that back in 1776. But now, here we are going, well, the orders say, well, the mandates, mandates. You cannot be locked down and free. You're one or the other. People are just given to fear. And you saw during all of the COVID insanity, how they fueled that fear. Man, every single radio, every, even every radio ad had to start out with, in times like these, in these uncertain times, you need an auto body guy you can trust. It, it, every, like every single product has to somehow be connected with. The danger is dangerous, it's dangerous. There's, there's this great fear. And they kept rolling the numbers out on every news channel. Numbers they were lying about, numbers they were dishonest about. They had preposition problems. They couldn't tell the difference between somebody dying with versus somebody dying from COVID. But then, and that's another story. Let's not get all political or anything. Let's just, just talk about, <laughs> about spiritual realities, right? Satan wants you afraid. And his servants want you to fear. They wanted Nehemiah afraid. They're going to say things about you. It's going to be reported to the king. They wanted him, they wanted him afraid. His prayer, God strengthen thou my hands. But look at this. Check this out. Verse 10, afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehitabil, who was shut up. You know what shut up means? Locked down. That's what that means. Shut up. Hiding out. He was using something as sanctuary, hiding in there. So-called prophet. He was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple. They want them doors shut. They want the doors of this church and every church shut while Walmart doors remained open. He said they could trust Walmart. I love, I'm a Walmart lifer, but I, but listen, you're you gonna tell me those people over there, Walmart care more and can protect you better than the church? I'm offended. We ought to be. 
They want those doors shut. They want them doors shut. One, I remember well when we defied our governor and made the announcement publicly, those doors will not be locked again and nobody will be kept out. Well, I had a buddy, a pastor of a cowboy church down in Texas that did one better. He ripped the doors off the front of the church house and he called a press conference to set them on fire. They were wooden. <laughs> Only wish I thought of that. <laughs> Let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. The so-called prophets going, Nehemiah, they're coming for you. They're looking for you. They, they know who you are now. They, they've got your, they are out. Do you understand what Shemaiah, son of Deliah, is trying to do to Nehemiah? He's trying to freak him out. He's trying to get him to act as a coward, to give up ground, to give up his mission, to abandon, to abort, to forsake, to bail, to go AWOL. He's, he is trying to, he's trying to provoke Nehemiah into hiding. And I tell you, America's pastors are hiding. They are hiding online. They're hiding in the church house and thinking that they've just come to this awesome new season. God is doing this neat thing, this new season where God is doing this really cool thing. Now we have millions of people watching us online. They can't even recognize the tyranny. They can't even recognize how damaging to the body of Christ it is to not come together. The first thing they do is you cannot gather in his name. Oh, you can gather. You can gather at Walmart. You can gather at the pot shop. You can gather at what they say is essential. But you cannot get it. It is only a degree away from you cannot preach in his name. Now, some see that, but the old pastor here, he, he saw it for what it was. Your, your pastoral staff here, these guys, they, they, they were like on to this fast. Thank the Lord. It, it, this, it was an interesting season. Find out who's who and what's what. The temptation, go hide, shut the door. Just look, let's just do what we do. Let's just gather low profile. Let's keep it down on the down low. Let's just gather and not let everybody out there know we're gathering. Let's just do that. Oh, let's just, let's just uh, obey the fear. We're in an interesting state right now. A sad state, actually. In America, Christianity, which is not, not only not taking ground, Christianity, is losing ground, forfeiting it, surrendering it rapidly, mind-blowingly fast. The sudden wokeness that sprung out in 2020 had been like a smoldering fire that was in the ground cover, spreading without generating smoke. 
The billionaire class, including people like Soros, have been investing not just in our law schools, in prosecutors, they've been investing in our seminaries. The Frankfurt School critical theory has more influence than you would ever imagine in America's Christian institutions. And when 2020 took place and the riots all happened, what you saw was a fire that had been there all along, just break through to the surface. Engineered and orchestrated and all the really cool pastors. The guys with the skinny jeans and the big screens and the smoke machines, they all suddenly got real woke. They'd been that way all along. They just didn't think it was going to be time. It wasn't socially acceptable before 2020 to really come out. And, and, and acknowledge the fact that you no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe, creator of it all, who stepped into time, space, and matter to become a man, live a sinless life, die a sacrificial death, rise from the dead, ascend with a promise to return, offering a commission, a command, with, and, and think about this, with a command to make disciples of all nations. No, they rewrote that whole thing. Go ye into all the world and make friends. Go ye into all the world and make fans of all nations. And they recast our king in their own stupid minds as some kind of oppressed victim who comes to just identify and express solidarity with the oppressed because that's all there is, are the oppressed and the oppressors. Well, then there's also the woke allies of the oppressed. <laughs> and they recast who Christ is. They've re they have reinvented the truth in America's mega churches. They want everybody to pray. Brothers, you know what I've been doing for the last couple of years, just so you know, besides feeding the flock. And by the grace of God, I'm grateful that God would trust me with anything. And I'm also grateful for the age of flight that allows me to come here, be here, sharing the word with you this morning, be back in the pulpit at Cabot Chapel, Central Maine, tomorrow morning, to get back on a plane tomorrow afternoon and go to the Carolinas. North Carolina alone, over the last year, I've had the privilege of laying out the need to get back to the whole counsel of God to 3,000 pastors, in smaller meetings, 100 here, 200 there, 3,000 pastors, all different denominations. It's been weird. It's been a, a great adventure. And, and you got to know that they're not the megachurch guys who are showing up at our meetings. They're not megachurch. They're all guys who love the word. They love the flock of God. You know what? Most of them don't even know they got a redacted Bible. A redacted Bible. Why don't you think about that for a second? You guys have seen redacted documents lately shown on your news. Do you know if you visit the Museum of the Bible, which you ought to, if you go to Washington, D.C., it's among the few things really worth visiting. That and monuments of who we once were and what we once revered. Go to the Museum of the Bible. And if you do, um, you've got to visit the virtual Israel tour. You put these virtual reality goggles on and you're in Israel. And I am your narrator. They, they picked me, called me. They wanted somebody that loved the Bible 
and loved Israel. And I, and I got to do the voice. And they told me to pour it on thick, and I did. <laughs> and, and when you, so when you look at the goggles, you'll hear a guy go, the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> that, that's my gig. <laughs> I got free tickets to the museum for doing it. <laughs> they have an exhibit there that I did not know about, man. Maybe you're not aware of it. It's called the Slave Bible. Did you know this, that there was uh, a Slave Bible published? And you know what? They didn't add anything to the Slave Bible. But they did subtract. They definitely redacted for the Slave Bible. You see, plantation owners wanted these slaves to know the scriptures that called them to be good and obey their masters. They didn't want them to have any exodus. There's no exodus in the Slave Bible. They didn't want the slaves knowing anything about God delivering his people, hearing their cry. Isn't that tragic that there was ever a slave Bible? And yet, we have new modern versions of them. They're actually the kind of virtual. And I've been confronting the pastors going, how many books of the Bible do you not preach? How many books of the Bible do your people never hear you address or even reference? What parts of this holy book have you redacted, virtually redacted? You give lip service, and this has been, man, let me say, you, you say you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, but you demonstrate unbelief in the sufficiency of Scripture. Because you think your sermons are what they need. What they need is the whole counsel of God, the whole of it. That's what we need. A.W. Tozier was right. He indicted us. A.W. Tozier said, there's a little heretic in every one of us, and you can tell that by the way we highlight and underline certain portions of those scriptures, as if what's on either side of what we highlighted is any less relevant to our life. Pray for that ongoing effort as we expand to Texas. Believe it or not, Delaware next. There's Christians there, actually. A few pastors. <laughs> Little bitty state. But what, a, what a gig. What a privilege. I can't tell you what, how weird it is to me. Catholic Chapel guy. But, even, but within our movement, I think I've been labeled by some as one of those political churches, one of those political preachers. Reckon so. Reckon that's true. If, if by that you mean I actually think the authority of Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, has no limit to his jurisdiction. And that his word and his kingdom ought to be represented everywhere. And if that makes me political, I'll embrace it. What's the alternative to political? Apolitical? Is that what that means? Um, silent? Not daring to apply God's word? Do you, do you, let me ask you this. Do you guys know that right now, according to Gallup, one-third of America's pastors actually believe you can get to heaven just by being good? Now, I'm talking about one-third of America's evangelical pastors now. That, 
listen to this one, that one third of America's pastors actually don't believe human life is sacred. Listen to this. At least a third, this was published by the way, September 3rd, Christian Post, 2022. At least a third of senior pastors in the United States believe that one can earn a place in heaven by simply being a good person. According to a nationwide survey, the findings were among several surprising responses as part of a survey conducted earlier this year by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. The American Worldview Inventory 2022 examined more than three dozen beliefs held by pastors. Researchers found that in, in addition to believing that people could merit salvation based solely on their good works, one third or more of senior pastors surveyed also believe the Holy Spirit's not a person, rather a symbol of God's power. Others said that moral truth is subjective. Sexual relations between two unmarried people who love each other is quote, morally acceptable and biblical teaching on abortion is ambiguous. Is there anything ambiguous at all about thou shalt do no murder? At least a third of those surveyed also said they believe that socialism is preferable to capitalism. <laughs> well, just for the record, it's not socialism or capitalism. Those aren't your choices. It's socialism, tyranny, or freedom. Those are your choices. But if you don't believe that there is a God, and you're not biblically literate, then you don't believe in the concept of ownership. Matter of fact, look at this. They actually said, one-third of them said that allowing property ownership facilitates economic injustice, which researchers say could point to the increase of cultural and political influences into the church. Amazing, it? According to the American Bible Society, in their State of the Bible survey, up to date, 2022, over the last two years, 26 million Americans just ended their relationship or interaction with the Bible. It is irrelevant to them. For the first time in American history, the percentage of people who believe the Bible is the inspired word of God Versus the percentage of people who believe the Bible is a collection of fables. Those groups have always existed. But for the first time in American history, there are more people. Now 29% of Americans believe the Bible is just a collection of fables. That's all. There's a 20% that says they believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. The other vast majority say, no kidding, they say, the Bible is inspired, but you can't take it seriously. Fear has been used effectively. And the churches sent the message to the masses of the irrelevance of this gospel, the irrelevance of our king. And the numbers that have been trending downward for a long time with regard to Americans interacting with the Bible suddenly plummeted. Coincidence? No, the timing was in sync with the American pastors obeying fear, fear. Shemaiah wants Nehemiah afraid. He wants him to hide in the temple because they're going to come for you. Now, I want you to look at verse 11. This is where we were working to get. It's the 11th verse. Nehemiah answers Shemaiah. You know what, guys? Maybe Nehemiah had it that knot in his stomach. 
Maybe he could feel a physiological reaction to what Shemaiah was saying and the threat, the danger. If I stood up here and acted like I was never afraid, I would be a liar. I'm ashamed to confess to you how much like Simon Peter denying the Lord in front of a maiden at Caiaphas' courtyard. I was in front of a little hippie lady with her hair in a bun from the Bangor Daily News. On the inside, I was a scared little girl, pathetic. On the inside, I was going, God, can't we just do, just, just, can't we just reopen and not announce it? I'll announce it next week when she's not here. On the inside, I'm not kidding you, I was a pansy. I was absolutely pathetic. I'm disgusted with how bad I was. I lost several nights of sleep. I've spent, I've spent decades making law-abiding citizens out of outlaws. And now I'm going to lead the church in civil disobedience. I started Penobscot County Jail in ministry. I'm going to end up in the Penobscot County Jail. And what are they going to say about us? My sheriff, he's a good friend. I told him, this is what's coming. I'm telling you, we're not going to play this game. And our sheriff, he's a good friend. He goes, I'm just, I'm just, I'm afraid of what they're going to say about our church. And he said the magic word. I said, sheriff, we cannot act on fear. We cannot act on what we're afraid of. That's what they want. Nehemiah, you know, he's got this, probably this thing starting to happen inside. But all of a sudden, verse 11, and I said, should such a man as I flee? Should such a man as I flee? Is that a manly move? That, that by the way, is an adjective that's been long abandoned here in America. But I have read the letter. I've read the statements of Joshua Chamberlain to the 20th Maine, commending men, telling them that they manfully performed their duties. Manfully. There's an adjective you won't hear much. Manfully. We're called to be men. And when God says to Job in Job 38, gird up your loins like a man, I got some questions for you. On your feet. When God says like a man, God meant something. The creator of male and female. Nehemiah's question, should such a man as I flee? It's a question of, would that be fitting? Nehemiah answered the test by knowing who he is and who he's supposed to be and who sent him. Should such a man as I flee, and who is there, that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. And lo, I perceive that God had not sent him, but that he pronounces prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sinbad had hired him. He'd been bought. And therefore was he hired. I should be afraid and, and do this sin that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, 
think thou upon Tobiah and Sinbalat? According to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. I urge you, my dear brothers, while the reality may be at this time, it looks like our ranks are melting and retreating, and so many are. Let us not be among them. Let us not give in to our fear. Let us celebrate the fact that we're finding out who's who. And the guy that just ran, we don't need him. And the pastor that just caved, we don't need him. God will raise up others. It's never been about how many. It has never been. It is, it is a reality in this universe that God works with the faithful handful. That God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the strong. Right? <laughs> Guys, let us not forget who we are. And we only know who we are if we know who he is. Who is it that called us? Who is he? Who is our king? Who is this Lord of all lords? Who is this one who plunged into the darkness of our weakness and, and our ignorance to become one of us, a little human, and then as a human, learn to walk on the ground that he made? Who is he who grew up as a man, who was made a little lower than the angels, to take on the highest ranking, potentially, the, the, to, to take on principalities and powers and to put them to an open show. And he did it as a man. He plunged into the sewage of our guilt, took it upon himself and from the sewage to the fire of its punishment. That's who he is, the one who called us. So I leave you with this thought. We are on a rock on a planet that is hurling through space, it's been set in motion by God. It is moving through time on its way to a collision with its creator, the king of it all. The one who came the first time riding on the colt of a donkey meekly to Jerusalem is coming again and he riding on no donkey's colt. He's riding on a white horse and he comes to kill. That's right, to dash the nations in pieces as a potter's vessel. Should we, as his men, be tiptoeing through the tulips, skipping about, selling happy thoughts, and just being nice? Or should we not stand for what is right and warn the world and extend to the world we mourn the offering of forgiveness, pardon, and clemency from the king? <laughs>